Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Mother fact. This grass loves to be on fire. They just love, love, love wildfires. (laughs) This one's a fact. That brings us into today's episode, Kogan Grass. Yes, yeah, so today we're talking about Kogan Grass, also known as Imperata cylindrica. And it has a couple other common names, such as Japanese bloodgrass, red barren grass, or blady grass. And it is a perennial grass that is part of the Poacaceae family. The plant itself can actually grow anywhere from 2 to 10 feet tall. So that's about 0.6 to 3 meters. And it has roots that can reach about 3 feet or 1 meter long. And within that range, it will often grow to just adapt to its environment. So kind of wherever it needs to grow to out match the local wildlife or grasses. The long roots are also considered barbed rhizomes, so they can actually pierce the roots of other plants and move them out of the way in Yikes. order to take over. This the leaves sounds are... so vicious. Oh, it is vicious. The leaves are long and kind of skinny-ish and flat. Embedded with silica crystals, finely toothed and hairy near the base. They're well known for being extremely sharp. Like to the touch? Yes. Like you wouldn't want to reach in and like pull this up out of your garden with your bare hands. Kind of deal. Alrighty. They reproduce via their rhizomatous roots, as well as seeds, allowing them to get to a variety of places relatively quickly, especially since the seeds are spread primarily via wind. They have like very light and fluffy flowers, almost think like the weight of maybe like dandelion seeds. Mm -hmm. And they produce about 3,000 at a time per plant. Yikes. That is a super fast (laughs) next generation. Yes. And it's considered incredibly invasive outside of its native range. The grass is more traditionally native to the tropical and subtropical areas of Asia, Micronesia, also Australia, some parts of Africa, Southern Europe. But it has been found other places obviously such as the southern u.s latin america and it's basically on every continent now except antarctica and even in some of its native habitats it's still considered a bit of a weed yeah i mean if it can stab other plant roots (laughs) it's gonna be hard to grow anywhere Well, it's not going to be hard to grow. (laughs) I mean, to grow other things. Yeah, you just can't grow anything else. Mm -hmm. 
although it is occasionally grown as an ornamental, similar to kudzu, it's mostly been introduced as a form of erosion control. And it's considered to be one of the most threatening invasive species in the South and one of the world's top 10 worst weeds. It's a very impressive reputation. Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's got some stuff going on. So interestingly enough, the first recorded introduction into the United States was in 1912. And in 1912, somebody got a package and this grass was used as packing material that arrived mm. in this shipment. And this shipment was delivered to Grand Bay, Alabama. So that was kind of its first introduction. No one really thought much of it, but the plant did end up kind of escaping that packing. Like obviously that person threw that stuff away and it continued to grow there. And soon after that, in the early 1900s, Coking grass was introduced to Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida as a method of erosion control and also as a foraging plant for livestock. Hmm. Now, this is especially strange because, like we've talked about, this grass is extremely sharp. So, this was definitely a mistake to introduce <laughs> this grass. The grass cut the lips and tongues of pretty much all the livestock and had almost no nutritional value for them. So as a foraging plant, completely useless. Like in our last episode, you had mentioned, you know, having goats feed on some of these things. Yeah, goats mm -hmm. don't want to feed on kogan grass. Oh, so there's nothing. They're like, yeah, they're like, no, thank you. I don't want to never to be able to eat again because my tongue has been cut into a thousand pieces. Like, no thank you. And it wasn't even that good. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it really, they really didn't want to eat it. And it made very difficult to, made it very difficult to control. What were their tactics, if not animals? Well, ultimately, like we talked about, the biggest issue of Kogan grass is um, that it is not contained by fire. So one of the ways that some brush is killed off is by introducing a controlled fire. Uh, you can't do that with Kogan grass. Because, in fact, fire is one of the ways that it takes over local plant life. Even green. So even before it has any dead plant material on it, although especially when dead plant material is involved, the plant is highly flammable. And obviously, if you're talking about some of these drier areas where wildfires are already a possibility, it can definitely be an issue to have this plant around. And essentially what the plant will do is it will spark these fires and burn 
itself as well as everything around it to the ground. So it will burn any other native plants in the area, hurt any native wildlife in that area, and it usually burns pretty quickly. It just like burns straight through and all that's left seems like nothing. But what it does leave is the root system. And so what that allows this plant to do is burn entire carpets of land and regrow only coconut grass. So like its roots are like especially adept at like surviving these flames? Well, in most cases, once the fire kind of hits the ground, it stops. Um, you know, there's not many cases of fire going below that point. And mm -hmm. the ashes of these things can even kind of be nutritious. So the plant has actually stored up enough energy in it to just go ahead and re regrow, essentially. And it's able to take the nutrients from the ashes of these other plants that it's killed, as well as its own leaves, and just regrow new leaves. And wow. therefore spread further and more feverishly than before. This so fire is... with... Yeah, it's intense. I was going to say, it sounds like an evil phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a phoenix, but worse. But <laughs> uh, awful. Fire is considered a regular occurrence with this plant and a major hazard of this invasive species, and it can take down large areas at a time. So some estimates put the spread of Kogan grass in the south at over 200 square feet per day in drought Oof. conditions, especially in places like Florida. And the problem is very often exacerbated by movement-related work. So... If you think when people are doing work on like a roadside and there's Kogan grass there and some of those very light seeds get picked up by the machinery and then moved to the next place where they're doing road work. And that's really common, especially in work equipment that has to do with like roadside things or other like small construction projects. But also even things like power line installation, tree planting, or the movement of contaminated dirt. Because it only takes a little bit of one of those rhizomes to regrow a whole new plant. And it's even become so dangerously dense in some areas that small animals can't get through it. So they can't get to their oh. homes or... They can't build homes in certain areas because they have these massive, sharp, fiery grasses in their way. And they will build their homes there when these fires kind of start because the area is clear and then pretty quickly not be able to get back to them to raise their broods and things like that. Wow. So this plant benefits no one in no way? Um, I mean, not quite. And you can get rid of it. So one of the primary ways of 
getting rid of it is basically just repeatedly tilling the soil, repeatedly mm-hmm. pulling them out. And early prevention is probably the best method because if you are going to grow this, even for a positive reason, it would ha- it has to be contained in some way. And that's a very difficult thing to do. There are even some botanists that believe that this grass has allopathic tendencies. So allopathic tendencies basically means that the plant has the ability to produce biochemicals that influence the plants around them. And so that could also be something that's making other nearby plants difficult to grow. And it's not really worth growing for any positive thing because it's estimated that it costs at minimum $200 per acre and sometimes much more to eliminate Kogan grass. And it's taken over millions of acres of land in the U.S. In 2003, it surpassed known kudzu acreage. Mm. And there's even this interesting expression in the Philippines that's called Ningus Kogan. And it is a figure of speech for procrastination. Basically, when someone shows like really fevered effort at first, kind of like that first fire in a project that burns out really quickly. So people kind of know it to be kind of this negative thing, but it does have a couple of positive uses. And it's primarily kind of like what we talked about with kudzu, where the plant originates and isn't necessarily such a nuisance. Chinese medicine, and again, I'm probably going to screw up this name really badly because I could not find the uh, little indications of the tonality of the words, but uh, it's called Bai Mao Gen. And primarily, it's the roots of Kogan grass that are used as an herb. And it's primarily used to stop bleeding. Um, And similar to kudzu, it's considered cold in nature. So some of the other medicinal uses include as an antibacterial or to help with urinary tract infections and fevers for use as a diuretic, uh, sometimes used in treating dysentery, as well as in the treatments of wounds and hemorrhages, such as nosebleeds. In some areas of Southeast Asia, it was once used to thatch roofs of traditional homes. And to be perfectly honest with you, knowing how fiery this plant <laughs> is, I I do have to wonder a little bit. I mean, it seems like maybe it was fine in its native land, but I do have to wonder a little bit about the flammability of these thatched roofs. Yeah. That is a very good point. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried, you know. I was like, oh, well, hopefully that wasn't too bad. Guess you can't have this... any cooking fires in the house. Yeah, probably not. Um, so you can sort of eat this plant when it's young. It can be eaten. Uh, and cooked, and the roots can be eaten. 
they're considered fibrous and pleasant to chew, although from what it sounds like, it has a very weird texture. Like, maybe one of those things that some people think is pleasant to chew, but not <laughs> everyone thinks is pleasant to chew. Mm-hmm. Um, a few accounts that I read also say that it's actually sweetest during the wet season in Australia, because it does grow natively in Australia. I know we do have a few international listeners who might know, so... but. That's what I read a couple of times. That's like got a sweeter taste during those seasons and is sometimes harvested for that. Uh, a few other records say that the ashes of the plants can be used as a salt substitute. Oh, um, that's interesting. The plant itself has a lot, has a very... Uh, salty compound to it so burned it does retain that and so I don't I don't know though I just don't know if it's worth it and I have to wonder how that particular incident came about like I couldn't find the actual origin but I'm like was somebody just walking by after a giant coke and grass fire like it's not unusual with Kogan grass to walk by and just see like an entire hillside on fire. So if that were the case, like was somebody just walking by after a fire and they're like, hmm, I'm like stuck their finger in it and tasted it. And they're like, oh, it's going to taste salty. Like maybe the air tasted salty. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird, but. I think uh, that's also... kind of the way about most plants or animals that we try for the first time it's always like somebody had to try that for the first time (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah I guess it's just like uh some things I feel like kind of make sense and I don't know how this fits into that but who knows um there were also some records of people using them as part of weaving baskets and bags uh because the stems are relatively thick even though well uh, they're like thin like blades like you would think of grass blades but they're the width of them I guess is relatively thick Um, yeah and if they're grown to like 10 feet long that's yeah that's a nice material to have yeah Um, And they were also sometimes used in the stuffing of things like pillows and cushions. Mm. Which, again, seems uncomfortable. Like, when you talk about filling a pillow with some of the things we talked about before, like Spanish moss. Like, Spanish moss, I don't know, it doesn't seem like... Yeah, it doesn't seem like maybe, like, the most comfortable thing in the world, but... It definitely seems like it would be way softer than Kogan grass. Yeah, I wonder if they have to, like, you know, kind of like with a fish, how you have to scale it. Like, maybe they have to, like, cut back the grass so it's not sharp. Yeah, I I wonder that, too. And uh, the other thing is that the fiber in them can be used for making paper. 
Um, I don't think it's used in the mass production of paper, like the way that we do it now, but there were moments in time where the fiber in it could be used as part of the paper making process. So honestly, overall, my opinion on this plant is 10 out of 10 evil. <laughs> evil phoenix. <laughs> But it does have a couple of uses, and I think anywhere where a plant is native, people have this tendency to, you know, use it, try to figure it out, yeah. see what they can do with it. But when you bring a plant outside of its neighbor native habitat and it's able to really thrive without any predators, that's when things can really become an issue and why invasive plants can be so dangerous yeah so i think in a big way this plant has a few good qualities in the places where it's grown but also can be very dangerous and weeds have their own place i think in the world as well but mm -hmm. maybe not this one i'd be curious to see what kind of studies could come out of seeing it's um, I think you said it was aliopathic abilities, like how it communicates biochemically with other plants. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I couldn't find any official studies in the same way that I found things like, you know, kudzu being used for um, alcohol suppression, mm -hmm. but it seems like possibly these aliopathic tendencies are negative on other plants. But it doesn't also, it also doesn't appear that there's much research on it. And it seems like there's a little bit of debate as to whether the plant actually has those tendencies or not. So mm -hmm. some scientists or botanists believe that they do because I guess maybe they've been observing the way that it interacts with other plants. And right. uh, some people don't. There doesn't seem to be like an official consensus on that as far as I could tell. But if somebody could point me to an article, I'd be happy to read it as well. Yeah, me too. So what is your mini tip? So my mini tip for this week is that, just so everyone knows, Kogan grass, which does have a few different varieties. I know I didn't say that in the beginning, but it does have a couple different varieties. Um, it is often sold to people from stores and stuff, even though it is illegal in a lot of places, um, you can sometimes find it called red barren grass. And what will happen is that you'll bring it home and it will look pretty for a little bit. It's got like a nice red tint to it. Um, and it looks like an interesting grass, but it will quickly take over everything you own because you usually don't plant grasses in separate pots or anything like that or away from other plants. You would probably plant it in the ground as a decorative grass, and it kind of can take over in that way and be very hard to get rid of. So if you go to a, you know, Home Depot or something and you see red barren grass, uh, I would suggest maybe picking something else. Um, even if you do live in a safe area where it might not necessarily catch on fire, like we said, it spreads really easily and you never know where that's going to go. And it's always better to 
contribute to that kind of thing as little as possible. So that is my tip. Red barren grass is how it's sometimes as blady grass, but red barren grass is how it's almost always sold because people like that attractive redness. And also oftentimes when you remove it, it will at some point lose its ripeness even. So it loses that part that uh, people consider attractive as well. So. Do you have any suggestions for any kinds of like really nice, similar kind of like tall, fluffy top beachy grasses? Because I do see those in yards and they look nice. Yeah, you can get millet grasses. I mean, most grasses that you'll find at a store or a greenhouse uh, are relatively safe. Um, there are always going to be some people who try to get away with like one or two things because they're easy to grow that might technically be invasive. And I think the most important thing to do is if you have a garden or an area, just research what's necessary for your space. You know, I talked a little bit in the last episode about how my zucchini plant like totally took over my garden. And it's because I didn't read up enough information about zucchini plants to really understand how it was going to interact with the other plants in that area and how I might be able to prevent that. And it's important when you're planting to make at least a little bit of a plan so that you can ensure, you know, the survival of all your plants or having plants that work together. So, I mean, technically I could say like a couple grasses for you, but ultimately, especially when you're talking about on a regional scale, you know, it's important to do a little bit of research and just see what's going to work best for you. What's going to work best for you watering wise, what's going to work best for you environment wise. And oftentimes it only takes just a few minutes to kind of do that search for yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what we're going to talk about in our next episode? No, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> yeah, it was like this a genuine one. question. I'm like, do you this, know? <laughs> this one time we're going to leave it up to surprise, but don't worry, I'll find something. Okay, yay, mystery date. <laughs> Well, thank you all for joining us on our latest episode of Plant Stories. This was Kogan Grass. If you like this episode, give it a like, a share, a subscribe, tell a friend, tell your family, and join us next week on our mystery date. Bye! Bye!